you, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. <laughs> Welcome to Salt Lake Dirt. I'm your host, Kyler Bingham. Today on the show, I welcome filmmaker and author Todd Hughes. His new book, Lunch with Elizabeth, chronicles his friendship with noir movie icon Elizabeth Scott. I love Todd's book, uh, really anything about old Hollywood, uh, and especially something like this where a fan becomes a friend. Um, really fascinating read. It, uh, it shows like the last 20 years of her life. Um, when Todd became close friends with her. Very cool book. Uh, I had a great time talking to him, and I encourage you to pick up a copy online or at Larry Edmonds in Hollywood, which you, you can order online there. I believe they might still have signed copies as of this recording, which is in early January 2023. Also, I want to mention the other episode of Salt Lake Dirt that came out today. Uh, I had the chance to interview a real living legend here. Nancy Olson Livingston, best known for her role as Betty Schaefer in the classic Billy Wilder film, Sunset Boulevard, one of my favorites. Uh, I got the chance to talk to her. It was so cool. Nancy just put out a memoir, and it is called A Front Row Seat, an intimate look at Broadway, Hollywood, and the age of glamour. Uh, it It was surreal talking with her. There really aren't you know, many still left from this era in Hollywood. So it was incredible speaking to someone who, who who lived through it. I'll have links to where you can purchase a front row seat. And again, I believe Larry Edmonds in Hollywood has signed copies still available. Um, I'll put links to that. And yeah, this week is all about old Hollywood. And I had a blast talking to these people. Thanks so much for listening. Todd, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, we are here to talk about your incredible book, Lunch with Elizabeth, um, which is Elizabeth Scott uh, for our noir fans out there. Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I just, um, I, I think when I saw the cover of the book, she looked familiar to me, but I didn't recognize the name. And it sounds like from reading it, um, at, at least when you know when you were younger, a lot of people didn't know who she was. And when you start looking at the movies she was in, and with the with the notable actors and other people, it was like, how is she not a household name? Um, I did figure out that I did see Dead Reckoning. Um, several years back so that was one um that i mean and it struck me i remember i remember her vividly so it sounds like that was the first time you saw her on screen as well so maybe you could tell us um first off i love the book it was it was like a love letter uh to elizabeth just an incredible um story to hear about your you know 20 year uh, friendship, close friendship with her. So, yeah, tell us about the genesis of the book and um, what brought you to um, writing about her. Yeah, well, I I was um, always a Hollywood ophile since I was a young kid, and um, the first movie star to really make an impression on me was Veronica Lake, who also had the long blonde hair and the deep voice. 
but um, I was going to Columbia University and I had studied film noir, which was a new concept for me. This is, you know, the um, early 80s. And then I, I spent a semester in Paris and I went to see Dead Reckoning and saw Elizabeth and was just mesmerized by her. But couldn't believe, I thought I knew everything about Hollywood. <laughs> and I ran home and looked her up in the filmgoer's companion, and it was very dismissive of her thing. She was kind of a second-rate Lauren Bacall. <laughs> and I was like, that was no second-rate Lauren Bacall. That was a first-rate movie star. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, just couldn't believe she had escaped me because she had been in movies with Barbara Stanwyck and Humphrey Bogart and Robert Mitchum and... You know, I think I realized later I might have seen her in Loving You with Elvis Presley because they used to run those Elvis movies on TV. But, I mean, I think that made her allure even more magnetic that she was so elusive. And this is pre-internet, so it was very difficult to find any information about things. And, um, you know, when IMDb came along, it really helped because that gave me her full filmography and you could start to put more pieces together. But um, now with the advent of the internet, I think she'll have a bigger fan base in the 21st century than she ever did in the 20th century. But that whole concept of outliving your fame is something that I'd never wrapped my head around. And then you go, wow, in 1945, she was on the cover of you know every magazine. Mm -hmm. And by the time I met her in 1996, right, no one remembered her. And she didn't really have a film that endured. Like Jean Tierney had Laura and Rita Hayworth had Gilda, these films that just stick with us through the ages. I think the last thing I heard, you were talking about how she didn't really have a, a, a film um, that kind of stood the test of time as far as like, like, a, like a Laura. Uh, so she was by the time you met her she was kind of you know not very notable to the masses correct and then with the resurgence of film noir you know people started to find out who she was and now i would say a lot of people have seen strange love of martha ivers with barbara stanwyck and van heflin and dead reckoning and then her noirs um too late for tears and pitfall have become classics on the noir circuit. Mm -hmm. And now that Eddie Muller's got the um, TV program, you know, he, he's Elizabeth fan too. So he, right. he actually restored too late for tears. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I love, so um, I, I would love to just have you talk a bit about your, um, your history when you, when you moved to Los Angeles um, as a young man, I love when you talked about being uh, a server and how you, you weren't really nervous about serving people like, like David Bowie. But when Julie Newmar came in, you were, you know, like thrilled to see Catwoman. <laughs> so I think like I could totally relate to that. Having <laughs> your star struck for people like that. A lot of people wouldn't, you know, care about. And, but the big stars, it's kind of like, ah, whatever. That's cool. But <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because you get used to it very quickly and you know, you get over it, I guess. Sure. But yeah, then when you see someone from your childhood, who's so iconic, yeah, <laughs> we worked with Cher, my husband and I on a documentary about her mother. And 
I didn't think anything about it until we were in her living room and I was looking into her eyes and I'm like, oh my God, I've been looking at you since <laughs> I was five years old. This is really something. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so uh, you you mentioned in an email that you, you were, so you were actually born here in Salt Lake City. I was. Um, I, yeah, I'm intrigued on that. Um, you didn't Are grow you up from here. there? I'm, I grew up, yeah, I'm from here originally and I moved around a bit, but I'm back here now. Uh-huh. Uh, so I would just, I'm just curious. I'm always curious when I hear people that were born here or, or lived here or whatever, um, just kind of the, the, the connection. Why was your family here at the time? Well, I'm go back to the beginning. <laughs> I was like, um, six, seventh generation Mormon. Mm, there you go. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, and my family came from the more, uh, the offshoots of Mormonism that they don't like to talk about. <laughs> so by the time I came to it, we were what were called Jack Mormons. Sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> my family all swore and were racist and drank. <laughs> and and um, so my parents, it was the 60s, and they escaped to California where they got a little too carried away. With, um, <laughs> Leaving the, pen, the past behind. The pen, yeah, the, the, I see that the pendulum swings far sometimes <laughs> before it level before it levels out. Um, oh, that's that's fascinating. Um, yeah, so you're born here. You grew up in you grew up in um, Claremont, California. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for yeah. those who don't, that's not super far from Los Angeles. So um, it seems that was kind of an accessible uh, place to you. I'm I'm also. Okay, so let me think about this. So I think what we've already chatted about it, but what kind of blew my mind is just how um, I just can't believe she wasn't this huge star, like, or it didn't maintain itself because I think she's, you know, I am have my list of movies I'm going to go dig into and watch now, but like just from what I've seen, uh, just as good, if not better, you know, and then reading the book, like having that personal element of it, just how uh, kind she was. I mean, she definitely had her <laughs> her stubborn um, traits, but like how sh- how kind she was and welcoming. Um, and you had a very bad experience with Lauren Bacall when you were a kid. Maybe you could tell us about that. That's pretty interesting. Well, she was the first movie star I ever saw in real life. And I was going to high school and they were filming a TV movie down the street. So me and my buddies went down to check it out. And it was the first time we'd seen a professional production in action. And the director was Jackie Cooper, who was also a movie star in the 30s. And the other woman who we didn't recognize, it was Sandy Dennis mm-hmm. and uh, an actress named Lisa Pelican. But Lauren Bacall was a huge star and we knew very well who she was. And I had one of those little Super 8 projectors and you'd get those little Super 8 films. And I had one called The Man Called Bogart. And they had the whole scene with him and her where she says, you know how to whistle, don't you? Just put your lips together and blow. (laughs) So we're watching them film the scene and then she walked off the set and we followed her, me and my buddies, and waited outside her trailer for an hour. And when she finally came out, I went up and I said, Miss Bacall, may I please have your autograph? And she spun around and said, get lost. (laughs) And I remember thinking at that time, wow, movie stars are not, normal people like you don't just walk up to them and talk to them I thought they were this different breed 
But then I just found out, no, she was just a bitch. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like from the other stories I've heard about her, like that's it kind of lines up with <laughs> with everything else I've heard about her on a personal level. But that's right. Like- I was I was the little I didn't want to like unduly, you know, portray her. But I did a little research and realized, no, everyone she does it to everybody. So yeah. Well, it's like, and when you're at that age where you, you know, it could, it could scare you off. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's so cool that, um, you, you kind of persisted, like Elizabeth was always on your radar. Um, you found out uh, like where she lived. I didn't take it as stalkery at all, (laughs) but it was like, uh, but yeah, it's like you found out this is pre-internet. So all those little like clues come in. Um, and then that she did seem elusive, but then you eventually wrote her a letter and, um, you know, you probably were unsure if she'd respond or not. And she responded to you and it was like, it's such a lovely letter. And that's how, and doesn't she say that throughout the book? Like it all started with a letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was incredible. So, uh, maybe you could just tell us a bit about that, how like you, you kind of approached her initially uh, and what made you like decide, Hey, I'm going to write her a letter and, you know, see if I can, you know, have some kind of connection with her, even if it's just like a, you know, brief moment. Well, I had her address. This was the stalkery part. (laughs) So just by sheer luck, a real estate agent did an illegal title search on her and got me her address. <laughs> and I started walking by her house every day. <laughs> and one day I saw her and I was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Like if she sees me, right, she's going to think I'm some crazy person. So around that time I, I was out of work and I thought, you know what? I have her address. Why not just write her a letter and say, I'm a writer too. Could we work on a biography? And yeah, I didn't think I'd hear anything back, but I did. And then we started an epistolary relationship where we'd write letters back and forth. And as you see, her letters are just amazing. Mm -hmm. From the penmanship to the language, just very old Hollywood. And then um, I started working at the American Film Institute. And I think that bumped me up a notch in her eyes. And that's, she asked me out to lunch at Musso and Frank's. Mm -hmm. And then we sat down with each other it was extraordinary because I was so nervous. I'd been obsessing about her for 13 years. And when she's just this lady looking at you with this big smile, like she was happy to meet me. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, I believe in fate. And that was another thing that was a leitmotif of her the years I knew her is that she always believed things were meant to be or not meant to be. And um, that we were meant to be. So she accepted me right away. And then, like I said, I, I don't think I was a typical fan because she did love fa- her fans, which separated her from a lot of movie stars mm-hmm. because she did love her fans and she did feel an obligation to respond to them graciously and did so for many years. And I was shocked to find out she had relationships with so many of her fans. But ours transcended, I think, because it left the realm of fandom very quickly And then we were just talking to each other about what people talk about. And every now and then, you know, she'd get off on a tangent about somebody and I would just listen and (laughs) take it all in. Well, no, because just like your, um, 
your early interactions with her, it was clear that it, yeah, that it did like transcend fandom and you were, um, just having a conversation and she was getting just as much, like it was a real friendship, which was like so, so cool to see. And, you know, must've been surreal for you at, at many times, especially I would imagine after like finishing up lunch or whatever, and just thinking about, Oh my gosh, this is like, <laughs> this is unreal. <laughs> well, I was always so proud to be with her too. And I was always hoping someone would see me. <laughs> and there was the one day where my husband came and without her knowing sat near us. Right. To watch. But I did run into my friend Keith. And, but every time we go out in public, I was just like, God, I hope someone appreciates how cool this is. <laughs> yeah. You're at Musso and Frakes. You're with <laughs> Elizabeth Scott. I mean, how, yeah. It's like golden Hollywood right there. It's like, what could be better? <laughs> right. And at that time, she really was the last of it. Mm-hmm. Because I started working at the American Film Institute in 1996. And that year they were honoring Martin Scorsese with the Life Achievement Award. And I was like, but Robert Mitchum is alive. <laughs> right. Like, why can't we honor these people that aren't going to be around mm-hmm. much longer? And, you know, um, Eddie Muller was friends with all the noir queens. So he brought them to the Cinematheque. So we did get to see a lot of her contemporaries. But, you know, she did not care for Eddie because he um, <laughs> called her lesbian in his book. So. Right. And then um, that, that just was so interesting because it was like she was uh, – like the lore kind of alluded to her being, or not so much alluded, but just flat out said that she uh, was a lesbian. And, uh, you know, turns out from everything that you saw that wasn't, wasn't the case. uh, She was very conscious. I mean, she's from a different generation, of course. So uh, that became, it was kind of like an ongoing issue where you, like you didn't want to push it, but you, you wanted to know, but there wasn't like, you know, but she seemed very aware that that had been put out there and she was not happy with that. Well, when I met her, I thought she was a lesbian. And luckily I didn't say anything because I came close. <laughs> just saying, oh, how cool, we're both gay. But right. um, something stopped me. And then we had some mutual friends. And, you know, and I was asking everyone, like, is she gay? Like, now I really wanted to know. And I didn't want to ask her. Right. <laughs> but, you know, eventually I realized she was a heterosexual Republican <laughs> and just had this reputation she couldn't shake. <laughs> and it's funny because people will argue till they're blue in the face that I'm wrong. And why am I so homophobic? Why can't I just <laughs> let her be? And it's like, well, sorry, kids. <laughs> yeah, that's that's insane. That's ridiculous. Uh I, I think about that what you you say about like the last of those uh, those stars when I so I'm I'm 41 years old and in the mid to late I've always had a you know deep interest in in old Hollywood and uh, specifically old comedies and so my my dad would take me we'd go down to those Hollywood collector shows at the Beverly Garland uh, like in the mid to late 90s and so went to several of those and met a lot of people. Um, they're all like, I looked through my autograph album that I got from those shows and they're all gone. Like every, everybody's gone. Um, and it, it was like such a special time, you know, um, you know, there's always legends 
living. But I, I feel like that time that was like that was like the tail end, definitely. And so for any of us that got to meet, even just for a brief moment, some of those folks, uh, what an honor! But to have like a friendship, um, a twenty year friendship, that's that's amazing. Uh, right. Especially since she did cut out people <laughs> at you know at times, which was like, oh my gosh, you're probably. <laughs> When you, when you when you wrote the story about calling her up drunk, um, oh man, that was brave of you to to put that down. But I was like, I was laughing, but like cringing, and like, oh my god, this is it, it's over. <laughs> I thought for sure that was the end, but she forgave me. And um, yes, but you know, and then when we started clashing over politics, <laughs> I feared that would lead to something but luckily it never did however she died in 2015 right oh my gosh yeah trump. so i yeah. don't think she would have, you know she would not have been a trump supporter but that would have been a difficult oh for sure yeah for sure uh well she had i mean she lived till 90 was it 90 how old was she when she passed away i thought she was 92 but i just read 93 there's um you know, her birth date of record is 1922. Mm-hmm. But this woman I know actually got her passport after she died and she was born in 1921. So you can either go with the official record, which I did, because yeah. that's what Elizabeth said. Or <laughs> So she's probably 93. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it is, so you, you both had uh, uh, the number 13 is means something special to you. And then after I read the book and I was just kind of flipping through it, the the she made 13 noir films yeah um so that it's, it's kind of cool how that number you know unlucky for like the masses that was like a, a lucky number for the both and of it you kept coming up for us so that's wild we that's had wild. to believe there was something bigger to it i love that uh i did want to chat about so you, your career i was i'm just fascinated by your career and your you and your husband and uh all the different um, projects you've been a part of. And, you know, like you said, you worked for, you know, AFI, and then you were early on graphic design, working on websites at, right at the cusp of, you know, the internet becoming what it, you know, uh, what it eventually did. Um, and then you're a filmmaker, you're a writer. Um, I got to check out some of your films now. Um, the documentaries sound interesting. Like, yeah. Like the share one. Uh, and then the, the Mansfield one really, uh, struck my interest. So is that, uh, if you don't mind just talking about that documentary for a minute and where people can, can view that. It's, um, it's available. If you just Google it, you can still get it through Amazon and, um, Apple, I mean, iTunes. Mm -hmm. And then there are bootlegs all over. If you don't want to pay for it. No, pay for everyone, pay for it, pay for it. (laughs) But, um, that was interesting because that was a long time obsession of ours, me and David Ebersole, my husband, and we had written a screenplay about Jane Mansfield and her relationship with Anton LaVey. I had no idea. I had no Saint idea. In 1966. <laughs> and um, no one would touch it because her daughter, of course, is the famous TV star mm-hmm. Mariska Hargitay. So people loved the script. John Waters actually told us it was one of the best scripts he'd ever read, oh, cool. which we won right there. So, um, <laughs> so we decided to make a documentary and then, you know, we just tracked down some legendary people. We've been friends with Kenneth Anger for 20 years, so that was easier. But what a get, right, mm-hmm. to get him on film. And he's still chugging along. 
But, um, you know, we just found once again, there were so many strange and interesting. I mean, Jane Mansfield is just a fascinating person, start to finish, and was so ahead of her time. And in many ways, this feminist that the world had never seen who said, don't tell me what to do. I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> but even that we got to interview like uh, Tippi Hedren, who to me, I couldn't believe we were in, you know, we went to her house and we're in her living room and the lions were roaring outside. <laughs> and she had adopted Anton LaVey's pet lion while she was friends with William Peter Blatty, who was writing The Exorcist, it was just <laughs> like, wow, this world, these things you don't know, but they're all kind of connected. Yeah, to wow. <laughs> but that uh, was about, you know, the nature of Hollywood Babylon, of rumor, of myth, which also, you know, Elizabeth very much is this mythological creature who's not real, and then there's the real person. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to examine... Jane and her legend versus the real person. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it tonight. Uh, and it's a musical. It's it's a musical. It's an experimental art film. I love with it. Musical numbers. We got very criticized for it, but I love it. <laughs> that I mean, sounds great. That sounds great. Well, I so okay. You came to filmmaking, and one thing that just kind of broke my heart as I read it um, that Elizabeth seemed. It reminded me of like a like a like a mother who loves her child, but is just kind of like dismissive of um, what they're trying to do or what they they think they know better, and they just kind of like just blankly stare at them when <laughs> when you're telling them what you're doing with your life. So it just was so like heartbreaking but fascinating that she was all about your husband his filmmaking and oh what an artist and then when you were doing something she was just either outright like oh you shouldn't make this film or just like dismissive and like you'd, you when you went to her house you'd see like the soundtrack to one of the movies i believe like unopened um granted she probably didn't have a cd player you said but still <laughs> yeah i don't know i think she just really it, it didn't dear her to me in that it felt more like a relative than anything sure. it did feel. My mother is very similar. Mm -hmm. And um, so I took it with a grain of salt. But once we were established documentarians, I said, Elizabeth, come on, we have a reputation. Let's do the Elizabeth Scott documentary. And she's yeah. like, ah, maybe someday I'll set the record straight. <laughs> <laughs> So there is no, there, there's no, um, I haven't done a ton of research, but there's, you know, she never wrote her story. Uh, there's not an extensive biography to my knowledge, um, or a documentary. Is that, is that correct? To my knowledge as well. Um, when I told Eddie, I had written a book, Eddie Muller, uh -huh. he said that Alan Rohde, who's another film noir foundation guy was doing the definitive biography of her. Okay. So... Um, I hope he is, and I hope that comes out. But, you know, I, I, I did her career history to the extent that she talked to me about it, and I've done so much research, and I think I have it pretty correct. But Yeah, it, what I loved about it was it, it was like a personal – I felt like I was sitting with a friend telling me the story about her, and then, you know – and just kind of being a, f a fly on the wall 
Uh, but then you do get pretty deep into the films, like give a quick overview of of the films. And so you have a really good idea. So I'm jotting down. I mean, I guess I could go on IMDb, but in my notes, as I was reading the book, I was jotting down. Oh, I got to see that. I got to see that. I got to see where that's okay. available. Um, so, yeah, it, it was just uh, yeah, it was just a lovely book. I was so you know excited to get it and then read it. Uh, and then you've had so you live in Mexico right now. Yeah. Okay, so okay, like I feel like I have so much I want to ask you. Like I just dropped my, I have three dogs. I just dropped one of my dogs off at the vet this morning for his clean, his teeth cleaning. But on the drive home before our interview, I was thinking about I loved how you've you would name your homes after your dogs, um, over time. So you kind of you bounced around a bit. You were in like Silver Lake area, uh, and then um. Palm Springs, and then now you're in in Mexico. Why? How? What brought you to Mexico? <laughs> Fate. <laughs> Seriously, we came down here in January. This I woke up oh, January first wow. of this year, not knowing I would be living in Mexico by the end of it. No way. So it was just a series of events, and you know, being filmmakers, you don't make a lot of money in documentary or publishing. Mm-hmm. And so we've just been very lucky that David is a financial, he's my Hal Wallace. And, (laughs) um, you know, he's just, we've invested our money in real estate and that's how we do it. So we came down here in January and there was this beautiful house that we could afford Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's very different here, the prices. And um, went back to Palm Springs and bought ourselves 10 years of creative freedom selling that house. So it's just the way we've operated. And thank God it's just led, you know, we have an amazing life. That's amazing. Where in Mexico are you? It's called Merida. It's on the Yucatan Peninsula. And it's one of the longest running populated cities in North America. It was founded 480 years ago, built on a Mayan ruin that stretches back way B.C. Mm -hmm. It's where the meteor hit the earth 66 million years ago. Oh, my God. That ended the dinosaur age. Uh huh. Wow. So it's this very steeped in history. It's ancient, right? We live in the downtown, this very old downtown, and you wander around and you don't know what century you're in. Oh, that's incredible. Because Mexico too is so relaxed, right? There aren't TVs everywhere. Mm. People are much more concerned with what's happening here, not out there. Right. So it's the second safest city in North America, and. Uh, you see why? Because everyone, everyone's playing the same game. It's, it's amazing. Oh you went God. back to LA and you just feel mm, the tension going up with <laughs> everyone who snarls at you when yeah. you say hi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't say hi. <laughs> right? What are you so um, happy about? <laughs> suspicious. Yeah. What do you want? Uh, no, that sounds. Oh my gosh. We. I gotta. Me and my wife. We gotta come down <laughs> to that area. I would. That, that sounds like a wonderful place. And there's this amazing expat community here mm-hmm. of artists. And then, you know, the young Mexican artists around here, we're all integrating and it's just, it's fab. Oh, I wish I spoke Spanish better. That's <laughs> well, you'll get there. I mean, you're immersed in it now. So it's like, you'll pick it, you'll pick up things here and there. I'm sure. I guess so. My Spanish, which I thought I was pretty good with, got much worse. <laughs> Well, I think it's like when you learn, like when I would take Spanish in school, very different from how <laughs> people actually speak it. Do you know well, what I mean? Well, in this part of Mexico, too, it's almost 
very different words and oh, wow. a different accent and they talk so fast. <laughs> so Wow. That's amazing though. That's I'm I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm gonna I have to look into that place. Um also I gotta thank you for the the um raving about Elizabeth's her album um that she put out so i found that on youtube um last week and i've been kind of playing it over and over it's and it's great, it's it? incredible and it's yeah. yeah i love it and i i love that um um that that part in the book where you give her the ipod and it has all her movies on it it has her album it has uh robert mitchum's albums um and that, that she like she has this like look of fear for a moment but then like thanks you later so you know hopefully she got some use out of that i think like you know that that generation um to see all that technology come and change that i can't imagine how overwhelming and 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 freaky that would have been to see everything on that little tiny (laughs) little tiny like piece of metal i know (laughs) well we never got her on the internet and that was one of our goals since i met her yeah we were going to get her a PC so she could start. But I think she would have been glad that she never did make the leap mm-hmm. because, you know, there's so much. It's very dangerous, I think, to put yourself out there as a celebrity. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would need people, you know, helping you along the way and kind of weeding out stuff. Well, you even, you, when you had that initial website for her, um, and it sounds like you'd, you know, you'd get hell for going back to like the, the gay thing. You would like, you're just trying to state the facts and people would call you homophobic. Uh, so it, I love the way, I forget the word you use, but it was like when you, when you kind of gave that up and like, just like the, or the YouTube channel or something and just kind of like, like a, a weight was lifted or like a relief when you don't have to like hear the comments and feel the need to respond. Um, I totally get that. And it, you know, it's a, I, I think we, it's cool that you let it go. Cause it sounds like it was a great, you know, great website. Well, as Elizabeth said, you know, I blame you for my <laughs> new popularity. I both love you and loathe you simultaneously. <laughs> that always uh, cracked me up. Oh, that's, that's great. I love, um, and you say, forget the rules, always meet your idols and be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was great advice. I've talked to some of my um, literary heroes on this show uh, more than once. And it's like, it is kind of, it's a trip at first when you, when you meet people, um, some of them I've gone out to coffee with, like when I'm in Los Angeles. So it's like, mm-hmm. it is uh, kind of wild when you, when you start having, meaningful interactions not just a quick like a autograph but like a conversation and a and a, a meal or whatever right. with people that you have admired for years you know um it's it's fulfilling and, and clearly like when when they kind of reciprocate it and respond and reach out on their own it's a meaningful and um thing for them they like they're getting just as much out of it as you know as the friend slash fan is getting out of it. So uh, it's just such a cool thing. I love, yeah, I just, I related to the book so much um, just because like when I was younger, I would reach out. I said the, like the comedians um, I had a good friendship with um, he, I think he was like 90, 
two when I met him. He was a director for Columbia um, Studios, did a lot of the shorts, a lot of the Three Stooges films. Um, he was a sound man. Um, what was his name? Edward Barons. Uh, he lived in Van Nuys. And so he he was a it was fascinating story. Like he was a uh, he was in the radio in Chicago where he grew up. And this is right as the, the transition from silent film to sound. And so Hollywood was like, you know, in desperate need of, of sound engineers. So he drove out and he started working. Um, you know, and he worked on all the, all those Frank Capra films as a sound engineer. So he had all those stories. So we went into his house a few times and just like, just listen to him, you know, uh, fascinating stuff. And I'm just, I'm so happy. I actually videotaped him. Um, on, I think it was the last time I saw him just talked for like an hour, hour and a half. And I still have that tape somewhere. Oh, wow. So, but it's, I think like, I didn't realize, you know, I think for, for someone my age, it wasn't a typical hobby or interest. None of my friends were into that stuff, but I'm just so glad that I like um, documented some of it because it's like, yeah. it, you forget, you forget it. You know, it's, um, it's hard to remember. That's why I think it's so cool. You have the letters from Elizabeth in here. And like you said, like the, yeah, just like the, the word she used, the penmanship, um, how you guys would, you know, make dinner, crack up, open a bottle of wine and, and open her, her letter and like make it kind of an event. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> um, yeah. So she well, never stopped impressing us. Yeah. That we knew her. Sure. <laughs> right. It never got old. It was always like, just who called. That's, that's so cool. So she lived in that house up above uh, Chateau Marmont for, for decades, right? Yeah. Up until her death. That was her second house. She actually owned the house next door first. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then moved to the house next door. And now Jeff Goldblum lives on one side and Kelly Osborne was living on the other side when she was alive. <laughs> that's, oh, that's so cool. Um, let's see. I did. So you mentioned how, how Wallace um, that your <laughs> David's your Hal Wallace. So maybe tell everyone who Hal Wallace was. Um, well, it seemed like a fascinating character. He was. He was in Hollywood since the beginning, since the 20s, came out from New York and was just a really good businessman and found his stride at Warner Brothers in the 30s, where he produced all those Betty Davis films, now Voyager and The Little Foxes and Juarez and Humphrey Bogart, and really put Warner Brothers on the map. And then his pinnacle, his achie greatest achievement was Casablanca, which won Best Picture. And at the Academy Awards, the Warner Brothers said, you sit down, we'll accept the Oscar because mm -hmm. it's our studio. And he said, but the producer gets the Oscar. Yeah. And the very next day told him to go blow <laughs> and said, I'm starting my own independent production company. And the first person he signed was Elizabeth Scott, who he had seen filling in for Tallulah Bankhead on Broadway. And there was more to it than that. <laughs> so I think from the beginning, they had sparks and he was married. Mm -hmm. Strangely enough to a woman who was also an actress who Elizabeth had seen in Alice in Wonderland, the 1933 production, which inspired her to become an actress. Oh, wow. Not knowing that one of the actresses was married <laughs> to her future lover. 
What a trip. <laughs> but so, you know, she did something kind of unusual. She came to Hollywood as the mistress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he signed right after her, Burt Lancaster, Kirk Douglas, Wendell Corey. So, you know, pretty good company. It's, mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, it was a casting couch situation. I think she got the part and then they fell in love, but it did have fringe benefits. Sure. Um, I'm reading right now. I don't know if you've heard it's, I think it's just called Hollywood an oral biography um, by Sam Wasson. Have you, have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Let me, I just want to show you the cover. Let me grab it real quick. I'll have to send you the link, but this is um, an incredible oh, wow. book, and it's yeah. I'll send you the link to it. It's so, it's so cool because it's all it's an oral biography. So they took excerpts, they did all this research during the pandemic, and they just kind of compiled this like massive book. So it's like Hollywood told by the people who were there, which I don't think oh, I've really yeah. seen something this extensive. It's it's wonderful. Um, there's that great book called Please Kill Me. It's the history of punk rock. Yes, it's, yes. It's an oral history. Yeah. And it just works so much better. I remember the first book like that that I read was Edie, about Edie Sedgwick. Okay, okay. And instead of someone just writing a narrative, it was just yeah built out of other people talking. Well, it's, yeah, no, it's, I mean, I think they, they did a brilliant job. Um, I, I think I'm going to have him on the show Um hopefully sometime next month. But um, it, it makes me think, because he touches on it in the in, in the book, but you, you mentioned uh, with Hal Walls kind of creating his own thing. Um, they kind of like burn, the studios burn their own bridges when you when you hear about it by, by being like that controlling because you have a guy like Hal Wallace who's like, screw you. And then what he starts creating, like slowly starts dismantling the studio system, it sounds like. Well, that's yeah. I always tried to convince Elizabeth. She was historically significant being the first independent contract player. So he was based out of Paramount, but Paramount didn't really want to use their resources promoting a Hal Wallace player. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, they did. But um, yeah, that was the beginning of the end of the studio system. Yeah. And then, and then so what was so remarkable to me is that he like it seems like he took care of her he was she was his his mistress but she got set up pretty well financially um yeah. because of you know his his guidance and um when you know she decided she didn't want to make movies anymore she didn't have to like some people who maybe they don't want to but they they kind of have to keep working on some level um so she she actually had a I was surprised at how relatively short of a time frame uh, she was making, but she cranked out a a lot of films in that time period. So when was it again that she started and then when she kind of really stopped? And her last Hollywood film, her 21st film was 1957. Yeah. So like just over a decade. One more film in 1972 called Pulp with Michael Caine. Mm -hmm. That Mike Hodges who I met, who's a great director. He did the Limey and all these great films. But he was just like me. He was a huge fan and just said, will you please be in my movie? And she said, okay. 
Yeah. Um, and you wanted her in, in, in your movie as well. Right. And she, she wouldn't do it. <laughs> oh, please don't make this picture. <laughs> it's mediocre. Is it, how did that like, Oh yeah. Like we've already talked about it, but the, that just like devastate you or like you, you took it with a grain of salt at the first, was, the first instance. I couldn't believe I even had the opportunity to ask her. That had been a fantasy of mine for so long. Uh-huh. And um, so, you know, I was very apprehensive sharing what I did with her because it's not conventional. It's a little more underground and rough. So, but she was so fabulous because she's like, well, Todd, who's starring in this picture? <laughs> and I said, Mary Warnov, right? And I, I thought she wouldn't know who that was, but she's like, Todd, she hasn't made a picture in years. <laughs> but... Um, I wasn't, I was disappointed, of course, but I kind of thought it was a long shot. But then David had this film that was perfect for her. And she came back with like, who would buy me as a grandmother? Right. <laughs> We're like, I guess. Mm, I guess. I mean, would, I mean <laughs> she had just had some of the best one-liners, like when you're, you're making the documentary about Cher and she's like, I didn't, I didn't even know Cher even had a mother. <laughs> that just... Oh, that was, and she was, it sounds like she was very jealous of that. That was, I think so. You know, once again, it was very familial in that she couldn't appreciate that. She just saw her as competition. Right. And which has happened with other people too. So that darn share. Well, wow. What, like, what a cool career you've had. And I'm so glad I, you know, that you put this book out. Thank you so much. Um, it's like, it makes so, me happy that people are finding it. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I've gotten some beautiful fan letters. That's wonderful. And, um, it's nice. There's been, I thought I might get a little crap outing her as a heterosexual <laughs> or a Republican <laughs> or whatever, but nothing yet. So Nothing yet. Well, that, no, it's like, and also you're born in 1921, 22. Um, you know, they've seen different things. Like my grand, my grandma, who's still alive, she's ninety four, wow. and di- you know, very different point of view. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's like it, it is cool when you can have a relationship with someone, especially if they're family. And it sounds like Elizabeth became became family. Yeah. Um, you guys were so close, and you know, you were even in her will. I mean that that must have been surprising. <laughs> I was. A- Unbelievable. And um, I had been the executor of her will. And she removed me after the share incident. After the share incident, <laughs> yeah. But thank God she did, because I would not have wanted to deal with that. And, you know, but I have her will, if you want to see it. Oh, um, yeah. Who she left money to. And she had a big family, so. So she had a brother. Was it just one sibling? And then he had a lot of people... No, I think him? she had five siblings. Oh, wow. So, and she split it between them and her nieces and nephews and mm-hmm. um, various other people. As far as I can tell, I was the only fan on the Yeah. List. Well, that's an honor right there. That's that's amazing. <laughs> um, well, I think I think I covered all the questions. I mean, I, I feel like I got to keep talking to you. I really enjoyed this, but um, yes, yeah. Yeah. 
Come down to Mexico and I would love that. I would love that. Talk all night. <laughs> I would. I would. I would love that. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for just taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for writing the book. Um, and now, like, I'm. I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna become a huge fan of hers <laughs> as well. Even though I've seen just the one film and heard the album probably ten times now, but I'm. You know, she's she's in my brain, and I'm excited to hop into some new fandom. <laughs> Well, she delivers. So. She, yeah, definitely. Um, Todd Hughes, thank you. The book is called Lunch with Elizabeth, uh, a memoir. Check it out. Any place you would um, direct people to get the book, I know you can get it on Amazon. Um, well, if you want, right now, there are signed copies at Larry Edmonds Bookstore on Hollywood Boulevard. Great. And he's got a great website. And to me, that was my goal, to be in that bookstore, because I've been I going love- there forever. And they have the most extensive collection of out of print, every book on Hollywood. You can find it there as well. They got so many lobby cards and posters and eight by tens. And the guy who runs it, right? He's doing this thing, keeping this thing alive in the Barnes and Noble era where so few independent bookstores exist. Yeah. But I don't know how he does it. Yeah, I I try to pop in there whenever I'm down there and it's yeah, right? uh, it's just it's just a throwback. You don't see bookstores like that and you and know he's like us right he's just so dedicated yeah he's a bogart fan is he <laughs> yeah. wonderful um well i'll put links to all that uh i encourage people to pick it up um todd thank you so much thank you so much this was fun yeah take care mm-hmm.